It's time to breathe new life into the social entrepreneur by empowering you to make a living through fulfilling work that will impact lives. You'll make money, but more importantly, you'll make a difference. Welcome to the Change Creator Podcast. It's time to build a business with purpose. Now here's your host, Adam Force. Hey, what's up, everybody? This is your host, Adam Forrest. Welcome to the Change Creator Podcast show. Today, uh, we will be talking to guest Rachel Renock, and she is the founder of a company called Wethos. They launched in 2016, and the mission is to empower organizations that are committed to positive social impact. So if you're a freelancer, this is like a platform that you can jump on, get work with companies that are actually pursuing social impact. Uh, so it's a great alignment, great mission-focused company, and they've had a lot of tremendous success since they started in 2016. They've been featured in Forbes, NBC, Politico, New York Times, and Rachel has been pursuing these discussions with her passion to fight sexism and sexual harassment in the tech space as well. Um, so just lots of social good, standing up for what they believe in. It's an exciting company, and Rachel is just a super cool girl doing amazing things uh, along with her team. So we're going to talk to her about her success, how they got their funding, and got started. So guys, in other news, before we jump into this conversation, um, the latest magazine with Dr. Muhammad Yunus, Nobel Peace Prize winner, is out now in the app stores, and we have added an awesome new feature, which is the voiceover narration, word for word, of the feature articles. You're on the go, listen to the articles, driving in the car, listen to the articles, you get the idea, makes life easy. Last but not least, we have a special edition coming out around February 15th, 2018, and that is called Events That Matter. This is a change creator guide for your conferences and events that are going on. That'll be for 2018 and ongoing. We will send you notifications as we add new events, okay? So this is something now you can pop into the app and reference at any time to see what's upcoming and see where you need to be to make those connections. All right, guys, let's jump into this conversation with Rachel. Don't forget to stop by the App Store. Leave us a five-star review. We really, really appreciate it. It goes a long way. I know you're going to dig this. Hey, Rachel, thanks for joining the show. Uh, how are you doing today? Pretty good. I'm super happy to be here. Thanks so much for having me. Awesome. Awesome. Um, yeah, you know, we love what you guys are doing. Uh, we're excited to hear more about it. And I think, um, yeah, actually, even aside from just giving people lots of ideas and insights based on your experience, um, they might find some opportunity based on your platform. So we'll dive into that. And uh, if you could start off just by giving a little background, what were you doing before Wethos and uh, how did you get the idea for it? Sure, definitely. So I actually uh, used to work in advertising. So I was an art director here in New York City, um, working on a lot of big brands, CoverGirl, KY, Hershey. Um, and uh, I was actually freelancing on the side a lot of times, like nights and weekends for nonprofits here in, in New York. Um, so about a year and a half ago, you know, I was really looking to use my skills to do something that kind of added value to my workflow. Um, and that's where I started working with a bunch of these organizations and, um, you know, they came to me a lot of times with, do you know any developers, do you know any grant writers, do you know any content people or social media people? Um, and eventually I kind of sat down with them and said like, Hey guys, like, how are you getting your resources? 
now because I know so many people who would love to work with you, but um, there needs to be some sort of process here. And they were like, well, this is kind of widely how we do it at the moment. Yeah. Um, and so because of that and because I knew there was such a desire on the other side of the market for people to really use their skills to make an impact, um, that's kind of where, where the idea was born. And, you know, the core of the company is – that we believe nonprofits are solving our toughest problems, and we believe that the people solving our toughest problems are the best talent. So we're really trying to sort of flip the script on, I think, how a lot of society sees the space, um, and really just introducing this new idea of, of the way that we think about charity, and then getting all of these amazingly talented people who haven't had the opportunity to work with the space um, more involved. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I like to call out that you're leaning into your uh, skills that you have from previous experience. And I find for entrepreneurs who do that, they accelerate their process a lot more. Things just move quicker. Yeah, definitely. And I think like it's interesting because when we started the company, you know, a big mistake people make when they start a company like this is that they invest all of their time and energy and money into the software first um, without really going to market and really understanding what kind of need there is there. And because we happen to come from a background in advertising, my co-founders and I, uh, you know, we really built a bare bones MVP and then we just really marketed it and we really tried the word out. And because of that, we were able to have a lot of traction quickly. So I would say, you know, our sort of background in creative advertising and strategic thinking and, and messaging and communications um, was a huge help in that regard. Yeah. So just to clarify, you had... Um you were not the you were not a solo founder. You had a couple people um, with the company at right out of the gate. I do, yeah, and uh, they're incredible. I absolutely would not be here without my co-founders. Um, we actually used we worked in advertising together on a couple of different accounts, and one uh, Kristen came from a background in digital strategy, and Claire came from a background on the account side, mm. and I was creative. So we had a really cool and interesting kind of balance and dynamic there. Um, in which we were able to really utilize and still utilize to this day. So I think, you know, when I sort of pitched this idea to them, they were into it immediately and, and they just have that personality, the type of people who like want to do something. Um, I think by, you know, giving us all this outlet outside of just the normal day to day and advertising really allowed us to do the room to kind of step up. Um, and that's what got us here. And I think, you know, I, I can't, speak highly enough about my co-founders they they've adapted and adjusted and, and done everything that needs to be done to get us to this point so it's definitely been helpful to have like a support system there yeah yeah i couldn't agree more and i specifically called that out because for anyone listening um i would 100 percent agree when you have some co-founders it makes things much, much more manageable. Um, it's great to have people to bounce ideas off of who have different perspectives and skills and things like that. So I think that's actually really important. And, um, you know, some people are successful going at it alone, uh, but only for a little while. Sooner or later, you always need help from somebody. So having those yeah. co-founders is pretty big. And um, I'm curious, how long did it take for you guys to, once you pitch this idea, they're kind of like, yeah, cool. 
what exactly were your next steps? So, you know, we talked to people who are in our audience and they're at their early phases. And we even had a call today with somebody and they just started something two weeks ago with an idea, but they're always confused about, well, so how do I make sure I have a feasible, you know, uh, financial model? Um, how do I start getting this on paper and, and testing it? So what kind of steps did you guys take to start getting your ideas on paper and then getting to the point of validating a beta? Sure. So it's interesting. I think there's a couple of different things that kind of go into that. And I, I think one of the biggest challenges for anybody who has an idea is sort of what you're talking about, which is kind of like the paralysis of the unknown or, or getting overwhelmed by such a big thing that you don't know where to start. Um, for us, it was really about making sure that there was interest. So and when I say like, don't invest, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars in building software at first, like our first move was a Squarespace site. Mm. And what we did is we went into a New York City ad jobs group um, and we posted this Squarespace site and we basically said like, hey, everyone, we're thinking about, um, you know, doing uh, doing a Squarespace site or sorry, we're thinking about doing a platform that helps creative people connect with nonprofits. Um, is this something that would be interested that you would be interested in? And you know, a Squarespace can go, can go up in an hour. It takes no time at all. Yeah. So from there, after posting that and the reach in that group, we had about 300 freelancers sign up in like 48 hours. Um, so we knew just by getting 300 emails almost immediately that there was some validation. And then on the other side of the marketplace, we needed to validate the nonprofit side. The way that we approach that is the biggest question in anyone's head, which is like, is there money here? Um, you know, like you see the nonprofit space and you wonder like, okay, can we build a sustainable business? Um, we're focused primarily on this space. And the answer very widely was yes. And it now in hindsight is 2020, logically speaking, unfortunately, as a culture, we judge nonprofits based on what they spend in overhead, which means they don't hire full-time staffers very often. And they tend to be very overworked and understaffed and there's a big burnout and, and there's a high churn in the space. Yeah. And so freelance is a great solution to that. Um, you know, you can outsource an awesome high quality graphic designer for a couple of weeks rather than having to hire somebody at a market salary. Yep. And so from there, you know, we sort of took all those things combined and started to really put things down on paper. And by that, I mean, like the, the go-to is the business plan, um, you know, beyond just getting people to sort of sign up and, and going to events and sort of building our network. And then also understanding that we needed to design a real MVP on top of it is the sort of financial aspect of it or, or the building of the business model. And from there, like there's plenty of ways to approach something like that. Looked at a lot of competitors in the space. We looked at a lot of other freelance platforms. What is their business model? Yeah. Is that something that we can use? And so it really is just a lot of research, um, poking around, reading a lot, starting to put notes down on paper, and then to sort of keep us accountable, we put on a meeting on the calendar every Tuesday. Okay. And we would meet up after work, and we would go over all the things that we found, and we would sort of like divide and conquer. Like, okay, Claire, you check out, um, you know, the business plan. What kind of um, market are we looking at? Like, how big is it? What are we thinking here? And then like, Kristen, you do a competitive audit, you figure out like, what is actually out there? Does this actually exist or not? Um, and just sort of like breaking things up into more just digestible day to day chunks is what allowed us to kind of break out of that paralysis 
of, oh my God, this is so overwhelming. I don't know where to start. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think that's a common problem for people because there are a lot of things to do and I guess kind of breaking it down to the top priorities and then isolating them as like small projects. And luckily you had a team to delegate and, and accomplish more at one time, but the competitive analysis and I don't know if you did the, you know, business model canvas or a traditional business plan, but those types of things, um, are huge. I find competitive analysis on an ongoing basis to be extremely helpful. Yeah. Yeah, and we do. We do it all the time. It's interesting because I, I meet a lot of founders who get paralyzed by the idea of a business plan. And for me, like, I don't have an MBA. In fact, like, I don't have anything close to an MBA. But <laughs> it, it, it's like, it's really just looking at it in context and logically speaking, you know, like, okay, if your product costs this much money and um, you're selling it at this price point, then the difference between those things is a margin. So, like, it's really just kind of putting those things into context and thinking about it logically. Like what are the things that I need to do in order to make this successful or what are identifying all of my sort of like unknown unknowns um, and then slowly chipping away at that list and getting a better idea for things. And it's, it's all a process. I think one of the biggest qualities, one of the most important qualities of any founder is to be constantly absorbing information and constantly trying to learn um, because you're never going to know everything. And if you approach your problem that way, then you're never going to be able to, you know, really fully understand it. Yeah, that makes sense. And I think you said something important, which is to constantly be consuming content. Um, because you ever, you ever pick up an article or a book and you start reading it, um, and you just get all these ideas and then you're like, Dang, I got to read more. <laughs> you know? Yeah, that's totally power. No, it's so true. And like, I think I've read more in the last year and a half, two years than I did maybe like throughout all of college. I don't know, but yeah. um, it is. And, 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 but all those new perspectives open up new doors. And I always say to people, like, you don't need to look for ideas. You need to look for problems. And the only way to find problems is to open your world up to different experiences. 100%. Um, and, and to listen to people with different experiences. So I think that that's a super important aspect of it. Like I'm just constantly consuming content, truly. It's yeah. what I do in all, all of my off time, basically. Yeah. <laughs> Like, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I think it makes sense. And, you know, those experiences, whether you're reading, networking, or even traveling, it's amazing what kind of inspiration you can come across just from, again, it's kind of like stimulating your senses in a sense and, and consuming more <laughs> information. Yeah, definitely. I would, I would highly encourage that. Like I, I just, I read all the time. Um, yeah. So, so I'm curious then, all right, you have validated the, um, Rethos business model. You, you know, you know, there's interest and did you, before you built your current platform right now, where you actually, I, I, this, I'm assuming you're on your, your final technology or is there another push that you're building yeah. out another? Okay. So you're on the, the platform that will evolve. And, um, did you need your first round of funding in order to, uh, build that out? Was that part of the pitch? Like what you needed the funding for, or is it to expand and distribute? So, um, before you answer that, I'm just, where I'm going is I'd like to understand your process a little bit. Um, which is how did you identify the funding you needed and how did you start getting into that to take your business to the next steps? I think it's a big thing for people listening. Sure. Yeah. So what's interesting, I think about our approach and I think maybe a lot of, um, actually a lot of female founders I talk to kind of take this approach where when we, when I quit my job and started the company, like I didn't care about raising money. 
Um, it wasn't really on my radar. What I cared about was getting a product out there. And I sort of like naively believed that if we had put, if we put a product out there, we could start making money and we could sustain ourselves within six months. Um, and, and I think that is sort of the approach for a lot of people, especially from like a bootstrapping perspective, we were like, you know, we don't need investment money. Like we're going to figure this out. And some people do. And the people who bootstrap their way to profitability, like are, are incredible. And I'm sure have a totally different perspective on this, but, um, I like seriously respect anybody that can, that can really do that. But anyway, so for us, we launched an MVP in October of 2016. It was a month before the election. And I am non-technical. My co-founders are non-technical. And our first developer I actually met in a coffee shop um, (laughs) and sort of convinced him to come on board and build our MVP for us. And I had designed it because I had come from a background in graphic design. And so, you know, we paid him and we scraped together our, like, I don't even know, $10,000, $20,000 between our savings accounts to really get something up and running that wasn't a Squarespace site. Um, And from there, after the election hit in November, we just saw a massive spike in traction for obvious, a couple of obvious reasons. But I think like for us, you know, we knew that after we had validated the market, the next step was to get a product out there that would that would do this, that would facilitate these connections. And as we garnered a bunch of traction from marketing it, um, we realized that we really needed to invest in our software and our technology. And that's where we kind of sat down and said, like, okay, we know we have something here. We have awesome traction. Our product is not great, could definitely be better. Um, we need to raise some funding so that we can really expand and hire and get like a full-time developer on the team that is going to, um, you know, help us build out that software. But again, like, I think that the steps that we took being in the mindset of like, we're going to bootstrap profitability allowed us to free ourselves from maybe the traditional path that a lot of people in tech take, which is like, get an idea validate it very slightly and then raise money like we had laid down a lot of groundwork before we went out to even think about raising that money um to, and and although the first platform like literally doesn't exist anymore i think what else it showed when we did start taking meetings with investors is that we are resourceful and scrappy and we can execute and we can make it work so you know if we can make this thing work and grow it on 20k imagine what we can do with a million dollars and so i think you sort of have to be in that mindset of like, I'm just going to get this thing off the ground with or without you. Um, <laughs> yes. and, and that is, and then like, if you can take that approach to fundraising, then I think you're going to have a way more effective time rather than approaching fundraising in a way of like, we're blocked. We can't build a product because we need money. Like you, you can, you have to try to find a way to unblock yourself, um, without trying to, uh, you know, pitch people for money, at least in, in my experience again. I agree. You might you might have a longer road if you do it yourself, and I always look at the funding as a way to accelerate and stay ahead of competition. Right. Exactly. Like like money is not going to solve your problems. It's just, just going to change them. So <laughs> yeah. you know, like <laughs> you get a two million dollar problem now instead of a uh, bootstrapping problem. Right. Yeah. Exactly. So like you know, you can't really approach it as like oh, as soon as I have money, all my problems are going to be solved because it's just not true. So yeah, you, you, to me, approaching fundraising more in the way of like what is this going to do to accelerate what we're already accomplishing. Um, instead of approaching it as like, I need this money to solve my problems. Cause it's just not, it's just not going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. No, that makes sense. Um, 
Awesome. So when you, I guess, you know, it's interesting to hear and you're, you're going for your second round now, so you're getting into seed round and, so for the the first round, and I know we've had some preliminary chat, and I'm just going to ask you for the purpose of people listening here, um, how did you, because one of the most important things that I think about when it comes to funding um, is making sure you're going after the right people for the right reasons. Um, mm-hmm. You know, do you need a strategic partner that is going to really have intellectual property that moves your business forward or a network that helps, or is it just, you know, financial funding that you need, right? So you got to really know what you're looking for and then find the right people. So what was your approach to finding the right people and actually connecting with them? Yeah. So, um, there's definitely no silver bullet to this. Like Mm -hmm. we, when we entered tech, I had absolutely no contacts and and I did not know the difference between an angel investor and a VC. Um, because I was quite frankly more focused on just like making the company work. But once I realized that there is a whole sort of like network and culture and method to all this madness, um, I really took the time and invested a lot of my energy in having conversations and studying. Um, I think like for for the way that we sort of approached fundraising was at first we, we threw, we casted a wide net, which I still think was good because you know, you really want to build your network. Like the best thing that can happen when you're raising money is for you to sit down with a VC and they say to you like, yeah, I I think I've seen you or I, or I think I've heard of this. Like (laughs) you want to, you want to make sure that, um, you're building a network and you're providing value to other people so that it will come back around. So I think my approach to that in general is to take the time, like write the personalized emails, do the research, listen to the podcast, read their blogs, like really get a thorough understanding for what motivates them. And then you're able to better approach these meetings. I think a lot of people, um, approach fundraising as like business is business, but like, these are people, they want to feel connected to you. They want to feel like, um, you're having a conversation that is two ways and that you're not just going there and saying, write me a check right now. Um, that is like the end goal. A lot of times, like I think for me, building those relationships um, was really important because you're you are engaging in a fairly long journey with this person. Oh, yeah. So want to make sure that you actually want to want to spend that much time with somebody. So I think. <laughs> Um, again, like there's no silver bullet to it. I just spent months and months going to every event that I could find and meeting every person that I, that would possibly take a meeting with me and then making sure that I was always following up with that person and, um, thinking of them. If I read a blog that I think that they would like, I would send it to them. Like it's relationship building and, and the relationships that I've built over the past year and a half are some of the strongest relationships I have in my life now. Mm. So I think, um, that's a really interesting aspect to it. Like you have to take the time and effort to really personalize it. Yeah. And I don't think people realize the courtship process that's behind, you know, that relationship development for investing, you know, it's getting those in-person meetings, you know, like you said, the simple things, it could be an update. You, you, you don't ask them for funding potentially right out of the gate, but you might ask for advice and then you're connected. And then, like you said, you sent a relevant article or maybe an update about the business and you just kind of stay in touch, let them know what's going on. And, um, I see this more and more and multiple times now I've heard people uh, give the advice of ask for funding and you'll get advice and ask for advice and you'll get funding. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's definitely, it definitely falls into that camp. And like, you know, I, I just, um, 
building up that network is so important for, for people who don't know anyone either. Like we were obviously, we had a big hurdle. Like I don't come from, it's not like my family comes from tech or like I have connections there. I can just get in front of whoever I want. Like I really did have to work my way up through the ladder and, um, it's hard. It takes time and it takes energy, but in the end it, it paid off. And I actually have a photo of a stack of business cards, um, that I accumulated over like six months. And it's wild how many people I met, um, just try to get to the right person. So, you know, again, like everybody has a different approach to this. Um, I tend to be in the camp of like most conversations I have are interesting and I learn something from them, but, um, some people tend to be a little bit more targeted. And I think as time went on, we got more targeted, but to start out, you just kind of got to get a lay of the land, I think. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. And, uh, I agree. I mean, you, I, I get very targeted, um, but I, it sounds like you went out to a lot of meetings and I think putting yourself out there, there's opportunities that show up that never would have otherwise. And if you can mm-hmm. meet somebody in person, um, it, it changes the game. Like the only reason we've had connections with some pretty interesting uh, investors who, you know, are even celebrity status. Like it's only cause we met them in person and they had a good vibe with us. And otherwise they wouldn't be responding to our emails immediately. Yeah. We wouldn't even have their email address. It's only cause of that in-person connection. So it's really valuable. Yeah, definitely. Um, it's definitely a lot of work, but it's, <laughs> it pays off in the end. And it can get expensive. I don't know if you're going to conferences or like meetup.com meetings or what, what kind of meetings. Yeah. So that was one of the barriers for us too, is like, you know, we were surviving off of our savings account, which really was only like six months worth of rent. And we ended up actually getting jobs um, in coffee shops and bars and yep. freelancing and keep the lights on. Yep. Actually freelance on my own platform at one point. To be <laughs> um, That's but, awesome. Uh, you know, that's a big barrier is that a lot of these conferences there, you need to pay four five, six hundred $600 to get access to. So we had to be really, really strategic about where and when we spent our money. And I think that also shows in, you know, once you have that larger check, like you need to be strategic about where and when you spend money. And so if you know how to manage $20,000 effectively, um, and make it go as far as possible, then the hope is that you can sort of apply that to a larger chunk of cash instead of just like blowing it all at once. Um, but it was tough. Like we, um, we had to be selective. There were definitely times where like we spent, you know, $500 on a conference ticket and got nothing out of it. Um, and that's frustrating and you just have to sort of do your, try to do your research and, and figure out what the best way is to do that. But I found that, the most introductions I got were people within my network. And and by that, I mean like meeting with investors also who might not be within our wheelhouse, like, you know, who are maybe like consumer brand facing investors and they wouldn't do like a marketplace like this, but just kind of getting their perspective and, and understanding, like building that relationship because they're then willing to help connect you with the right people. That's right. Um, so it definitely was like an effort there. And there was certainly some monetary issues, um, in terms of getting that exposure. But again, like there's a workaround for everything. You just have to like put your head down and try to figure it out. And I think we just spent a lot of time doing that. And, um, it, you know, it ended up paying off in the end. Yeah. It's, it's, I think it's everything you're saying is spot on. And I I like hearing you say it because it's important for people to kind of hammer that in a little bit. And there always is a workaround, whether you're getting a job at a coffee shop or other companies have made side products that have nothing to do with their business just to raise, you know, money, you know, um, even the, I'm trying to remember who was it. Oh, um, 
Is it Airbnb? I can't know. Uh, yeah. If they were like knocking on doors, making the cereal boxes, like <laughs> it's like, you know, crazy stuff, man. It was- I know, but it's true. And like that show, that type of like sort of resourcefulness and that spirit applies to your company at any stage because you're always going to be making trade-offs. Like you're always going to be deciding between like, do I hire one more developer or do we put money into sales? Like no matter how big your budget is, you're going to have to be making trade-offs and you're going to have to get scrappy. And yep. so think um i think that shows more than anything like if you can make it work and you can find those workarounds when you don't have any money then you're in a much better position to spend the money wisely when you do have it yeah makes sense so so let's talk a little bit here as we get to the end of the uh, discussion about the the vision you have for Wethos. um where do you see yourselves going um and what is i get what's the big vision for you and what's the uh, immediate future in the next year Sure. Yeah. So for us, you know, we're really putting a stake in the ground um, in terms of meaningful work. And I think what our company does and what it supports is this idea that we believe the future of work um, is more meaningful. We believe that we need to add purpose into the workflow that we're currently seeing. And we believe that people aren't just taking jobs for paychecks anymore. I think we've sort of reached this point in society where people are really looking to do things that align with and especially in a super politically charged world. Um, And then on the other side of it, like, you know, I look at the nonprofit space and I'm so, so, so inspired by what they do every day and all of the challenges that they are trying to tackle. And it just frustrates me to watch a sector who is trying to solve our toughest problems like poverty and hunger and homelessness have no access to resources. And that is such a frustrating thing to see because I think that for us, you know, we look at the world and we say, if we were to flood 1.5 million organizations in this country with proper resources, what kind of world would we be looking at then? And I think um, we need to sort of shift the way that we kind of look at charity. And so for us as a brand and as a company, you know, not only is it about connecting with people and getting them that more meaningful work, but it's also about changing the conversation around the nonprofit space. And it's really no coincidence that a sector made up of 74% women is dismissed. Um, And so I think like, we believe that charity deserves to be taken seriously. We believe that these people um, deserve to be recognized for all of their hard work. And we believe that they deserve the best talent. And so by sort of shifting the conversation around that and and understanding some of the barriers um, in the nonprofit space and trying to dispel some of those stigmas, I think we can create a better and fair world. And so what we really want to do is create a purpose-driven economy uh, economy where you know purpose and profit align and those two things are no longer mutually exclusive and so that is the main mission of the company and five years from now i want any college grad coming out of school to understand that if i want to find meaningful work wethos is where i go and that we can put that amazing and young and inspiring talent within the nonprofit space um, ready to tackle our toughest problems. And I think we'll be looking at a very different world then. Yeah, well, I love that vision. And my one question on it is, um, you know, I believe in the nonprofit space and its role, but I also believe in the for-profit social enterprise space. So mm-hmm. where there'll be um, a broader, I guess, uh, connection to the for-profit social enterprises? 
I think there will. And I, I think it's something that we're looking at on the horizon and, and something that we hear a lot from a lot of these big companies is the new people who are graduating and coming in are wondering, like, where are my opportunities for impact? Yeah. Um, and so I think when we're able to sort of show the world that it is sustainable to do good and make money, that can then bleed more into the for-profit space. And, and to be frank, like, there is so much more that these for-profit companies could be doing that they don't do in the pursuit of profit um, that needs to be changed. And I think um, some of the larger tech companies are at least doing a better job of it. Airbnb offering housing to refugees. I think Lyft lets you uh, round up your fare and donate to charity. Like It's definitely leaking in, but I really think that we need to think about where we're at from a capitalism perspective on ethics and morals and what we can do to make the world better. Because even by just one slight business adjustment that maybe won't give your shareholders the biggest dividend could actually truly impact the world at large. And quite frankly, if you're robbing your consumers, then you're going to run out of consumers. So I think... You know, I really think that there needs to be a bit of a reckoning here. And I think that the for-profit space really needs to look at what they could be doing better. Um, and I would love to be the one to sort of lead that charge and, and figure out how we can kind of reframe what we're looking at here. Because um, if we continue to beat ourselves into the ground in the pursuit of profit, um, I think that we are ultimately going to self-destruct. So yeah. um, there has a point in which that that thinking shifts and i'm hoping that this new generation of business leaders is going to lead that charge yep i love it so let's end on that positive note um i think we align on a lot of these uh challenges especially the capitalism discussion but that's that's for another <laughs> rainy day <laughs> yeah <laughs> Um, so listen, you guys, um, you know, whether you're starting your startup and you still need cash flow on the side to fund your idea, or you're trying to be a freelancer and earn a living, um, supporting awesome businesses and nonprofits, um, you could check out Wethos at Wethos, W-E-T-H-O-S dot C-O, so Wethos.co, and sign up for their awesome platform, give them a little love, and um, see what kind of work you can get involved with to help make the world a better place. Um, Rachel, thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate having you on the uh, show here today. Awesome. Thanks so much. Have a great week. That's all for this episode. Your next step is to join the Change Creator Revolution by downloading our interactive digital magazine app for premium content, exclusive interviews, and more ways to stay on top of your game. Available now on iTunes and Google Play or visit changecreatormag.com. We'll see you next time where money and meaning intersect right here at the Change Creator Podcast.